Hello, and welcome to another episode of JDPR Now, a podcast dedicated to all things related to data security and data privacy. This week's episode is Data Security in a Crisis. Regular listeners will have already heard our episodes on what DPOs need to know about cybersecurity and COVID-19 and the impact on data protection. This episode is part of a series of updated podcasts addressing security and privacy concerns resulting from the coronavirus pandemic and the shift in working practices for millions of companies across the world. So just to remind you that GDPR Now is brought to you by Data Protection for Business, and this is DPO. And your host today is me, Karen Heaton, owner of Data Protection for Business, recording from my home office in southwest London. And across the airwaves from Israel, we're delighted to have Zohar Rosenberg, who's the Chief Security Officer at Elron, a leading Israeli group dedicated to building technology companies. In this episode, we're going to talk about data security in a crisis and how to help businesses understand the risks. So Zohar, I'm delighted to have you on the show today. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your really interesting background? Hi, Karen. Uh, First of all, a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for hosting me. You're very welcome. So um, I have a background in engineering. I did my first degree in electrical engineering, and then I served uh, in the Israeli military in the intelligence corps, uh, the intelligence unit 8200. I spent a little over 20 years there mm-hmm. doing uh, many different uh, roles and things, um, anywhere from hands-on engineer and then early 2000 moved towards the cyber world. Uh, it wasn't called cyber then, but uh, had uh, the opportunity to be one of the founding fathers of, of cyber capabilities in, in the Israeli military. Yeah. Managed op- operations, products, special capabilities. I was in charge of cyber research. Uh, I was afterwards a part of the team who established the cyber joint staff in the Israeli military. And then I moved there. I was the head of the cyber strategy for the military. And after that, I was the head of the cyber department for, for the Israeli Defense Forces. I had uh, experienced a lot of international cooperation, uh, national cooperation around cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually I retired. And for the last... Uh, <laughs> Uh, for five years, I'm uh, with Elron. I'm investing in cybersecurity startups, um, working with the local Israeli ecosystem around cybersecurity, uh, involved with uh, different accelerator programs, hubs, and, and labs around cybersecurity, uh, working with, with the early stage startups uh, most of the time. So that's a fascinating background that you've got into cyber and where it started from and where it is now. Do, can you give us any idea of the scale of the changes? Wow, that's <laughs> enormous. <laughs> so, you know, like looking at a small scale. So when we started really end of the 90s, uh, there was only a handful of people um, in the military dealing with that. And today you have, I guess, thousands. Uh, you look at the industry, in the industry. So back then in Israel, at least you had checkpoint, 
CyberArk was only beginning a few years afterwards. Today you have um, about 500 cybersecurity companies in Israel. Uh, globally, okay, globally, you're talking about a few thousands of companies. You look at things like the RSA conference. So back then it was, again, I don't know, a few hundreds of people. Over the last years, it was 50,000, 60,000 people each year. So I, oh, I think that the landscape has changed dramatically. So it seems like all the criminal activity has moved online. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot safer. Um, the return is much higher. Uh, and you get to work from your home conveniently. So why not? Uh, but, but really, it's, it's amazing that today it would cost a few dollars to issue uh, a phishing campaign and you can gain tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars out of it. So really, the, the ROI is um, unparalleled. Well, that is amazing. We've had another guest on and he talked a bit about some of the data security um, changes that he's seeing. Um, and so it really is a fascinating subject. And a colleague of mine said to me, you know, it's so well organized. You know, it's criminal gangs that are, are running these. They've got things like help centers to help people pay their ransomware, etc. Yeah, it's a business. Uh, you really need to think of it, uh, of it as a business. Uh, it's a business on the other side of the law, but but it's business. It's managed as a business, uh, and and they're doing great, really, because they're so organized, so well organized. Um, they know exactly how much they do on the expenses, and they know what to expect on the income, and they understand that if they are uh, attacking innocent people and demanding that people pay with Bitcoin, most of humanity doesn't know how to get Bitcoin. So yeah, you have a um, sort of a support center that will help you to buy Bitcoin and transfer Bitcoin because that's what they want. Uh, but but really, it's, it's amazingly organized. And unfortunately, <laughs> the world doesn't seem to be coping very well with that. So they have a very uh, open world to, to flourish in. And how do you think governments or other agencies might be able to start to close that open world down a little bit? So unfortunately for all of us, um, since cyber has no real borders, the, this, the only way to solve this thing is with international cooperation. Because at the end of the day, you want to get to the specific people, you know, uh, shutting down their computers uh, or their networks is nothing. They'll be up and running again in, in an hour with new laptops and then we're from a new IP. That's nothing. So you, ha you have to reach to the people that are doing that. And for that, you need international cooperation. And sadly for us, uh, recent years, I think the world is going back to uh, at least a bipolar, if not more than that, uh, world. And it's very difficult to have um, a cooperation in that. I was involved back in, in, when I was still in the military uh, in efforts of signing international treaties around cybersecurity. And there are actually two treaties that one of them is for Russia, China, uh, and that part of the world. The other one mm -hmm. for most of Europe and uh, Israel, for example, um, the U.S. is partly signed, signed up on that. So the world can't even agree on, on a single treaty for cybersecurity. 
which means that we're a long way from being able to solve this effectively. So are there any big reasons for why we can't have we can't agree on the international treaties? Is it because there's maybe more of these criminal activities in certain countries? Definitely, there are certain countries that are leading the, the cybercrime globally, but I think there are cybercriminals in each and every country in the world. Okay. Um, and I think that the, the differences are, some of them are, are very deeply uh, involved with, with basic philosophies like what is uh, the internet about? You know, some countries in the world think the internet shouldn't be an open thing and while others think that it's already a basic human right to have a connectivity to the internet so it begins with really differences in philosophy and then it goes to political agendas uh, and then it goes to um, commercial agendas you know like the tax uh, differences between the u.s and china and uh, ip and intellectual ip differences so there's a lot of layers of, of disagreement or differences that are not allowing the world to solve this together. Well, that's a shame, actually. It's really sad. But it's not unusual with some of the other things that are going on, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And so how is that showing itself in terms of what businesses need to do in, in terms of the additional architecture or some of the steps they can take to try and protect themselves from these ever-growing threats? So I think we're seeing a continuous uh, raise of awareness um, all over. Um, you know, five years ago, I think we were far way behind on awareness, and, and most businesses didn't do anything around cybersecurity. And today, uh, most businesses are aware and doing something. I think mm-hmm. also the the fact that the big IT providers like uh, Microsoft, like IBM, like all the public cloud providers, AWS, Azure, Google, um, they have all also made a lot of progress around cybersecurity. If you ask you know, people 10 years ago, Microsoft wasn't a cybersecurity company. Uh, they were quite the opposite. They were the source of all vulnerabilities. Okay. <laughs> but today, uh, Microsoft is a very respected vendor of cybersecurity. And, and the fact that most of the world works with, or at least half the world works with, with Microsoft uh, operating systems, they enjoy some basic uh, level of protection that just comes with it. The same goes for anyone who goes on AWS or Azure or GCP. Uh, and IBM, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the industry um, as a whole made a giant leap forward and everyone gains from that because mm-hmm. today everything comes with some basic layer of, of, of protection to begin with. On top of that, as I said, there is a, a continuously growing awareness. People are more aware, doing more, but still there is a lot to go. And I think that today, uh, probably the biggest gap is around small and medium businesses. The big enterprises are already there in, in no one has everything, but, but they have done a lot of effort over the last five, 10 years, partly because they suffered uh, significant attacks and they learned from that. 
partly because regulation started demanding them to do that, partly because they started getting uh, lawsuits and then people felt that they have uh, now a personal liability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter, but enter- the biggest enterprises have done a lot over the past decade. Small and medium businesses, very little. Um, recent regulation is, is like GDPR, of course, um, yeah. is starting to demand that they also do something, but it's more difficult for them because they lack the personnel that understands mm-hmm. how and what. They lack the resources. And quite honestly, most of the cybersecurity industry isn't providing products that are facing small and medium businesses. The the products are for enterprises. They usually require a team, a very professional team to operate that, to deploy those solutions, to work with the uh, reports or the uh, alerts from those uh, Mm -hmm. solutions. And most of the industry doesn't provide dedicated solution for smaller businesses, which may only have one IT guy that does everything from uh, installing the operating system to uh, configuring mailboxes and to doing some sort of cybersecurity. And, and there, are, there aren't many solutions that are really adjusted for that yeah. type of business. So I think the, the biggest gap today is there. That's it's really interesting because my business focuses on SMEs and they have a huge amount of challenges. You're absolutely right. They don't necessarily have the skills. They may not have the budget even, yet they're having to uh, protect their businesses against similar types of attacks that much larger corporations might have to. And so with the result of the pandemic and the shift to working from home, the... Um, what did you call it in one of your articles? I think you called it the perimeter. So the security for businesses within the perimeter when you're working in the office is is one thing. However, when people start to move and work from home offices, that gives them another layer of security concerns, perhaps. And again, for SMEs, does this give them another layer of problems that they need to try and get around? Yes, definitely. And, and again, mostly because the, most of them don't, doesn't have the right personnel to even understand the, the problem. You know, when I'm, you and I are now working from our home, we're yeah. working on our home network. It's a home Wi-Fi probably, um, which nobody takes care of uh, in most yeah. cases, which is very different from the network at the office where someone does something around it. So even that small but really significant difference can be extremely impactful for for small, medium businesses. And as I said, most of them don't even have the people, the right people to understand that this is a huge issue. Yeah, Yeah, I understand that. And so the companies that you work with in Israel, are they building products that could be more targeted at that sector of the market? So some of them definitely, yes. Uh, not all, but for some, definitely, yes. Uh, for example, we have a company that does um, solutions for anti-phishing. And they, are, they can work from a single mailbox to uh, you know, a million mailboxes in, a, in an organization. Um, 
and and it requires very little uh, maintenance or, or or anything. It's it's the deployment is really nothing because they're just integrated into your 365 or Google uh, Mail. So that's, for example, a solution that even small businesses uh, can deal with. And and in fact, they have quite a big uh, chunk of their customers are are small, medium businesses. Uh, It works really, really well. We also have a a company in in the space of um, cyber insurance for small and medium businesses, which again, it varies a lot from cyber insurance to enterprises. It's really a different thing. Um, and and so some of the, the the companies that we have invested in and working with are definitely looking at that segment and trying to help bring them forward uh, mm-hmm. with better cybersecurity skills. And where could listeners go and find out about these various companies offering those types of products for the SME market? So. For our portfolio, uh, it'd be easy just to go to our own website, uh, www.lround.com, and we have all our portfolio there. And from there, you can reach each of those companies' uh, website. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, um, some other companies, like I know another company that uh, we're not invested in, but, but I really like them, uh, they're, they're called Cornet. Uh, they also have an offering for small, medium businesses, uh, focused on the cloud. So they have sort of a one package for email security, cloud security, DLP, really aimed at small, medium businesses, meaning that it's almost zero effort deployment. Uh, you don't have to maintain it. You don't have to uh, mm-hmm. configure it. You get a re- automated report, very easy to understand. There are, again, not many. Some companies are doing that. Um, so that just few examples. That's very interesting. Oh, thank you for that. Well, we'll put your website details on the show notes so any listeners who are interested can go and have a look at themselves. Um, so in terms of the landscape there, therefore, for the adoption of security solutions over the next six months, would you mainly see that around the SME market? I think that for the next six months, um, Across all segments, it will be mostly about uh, what's urgent. Uh, you know, with the current uh, crisis and conditions, and that still a lot of the world is under some sort of lockdown, and the economy is at least in, an, in a very big uncertainty. I think what um, most will buy is what is urgent. So if you're suffering a sharp increase on phishing, you will, you might at least look for an anti-phishing solution. Yeah. Uh, if you started having a lot more people working from home and suddenly the amount of laptops uh, that your employees are working with is, is much higher, then you would probably expand your EDR deployment. So I think it's really about what do I have to do now in the short term, uh, not a lot about looking for the longer term, uh, waiting for the uncertainty to uh, decrease and to see how things are. Yeah, And I, I think that's mainly, I think that in areas like uh, e-commerce, online uh, commerce, there is uh, an increase in, in fraud because people are buying a lot more online. And so uh, again, 
doing anti-fraud solutions uh, now in front in face of that uh, increase of fraud is is maybe a must at, at this point in time yeah these are the things that I think are really urgent yeah that makes total sense actually as you said lots of businesses are having now to deliver online so that online fraud they need to be aware of and some of them might not even know some of the first ste- steps to take in that so uh, so it's really interesting thank you um, and just to sort of round off um, our discussion today, I'm very interested in your thoughts on track and trace apps and whether they've been used um, in Israel or they might be used and, and do you have any general comments on them? Yeah, sure. So in Israel, there was a small scale, um, I would say, experiment of working with such an such applications it was with very limited success i think there are quite a lot of obstacles in in making something like this work in in short time because for for this type of applications you need a really good baseline or a reference first because you want to understand how regularly uh, people flow around um, mm-hmm. and where are the areas of population in different times of day, etc. So if you don't have a baseline, uh, it's very difficult. And to create a baseline while uh, the population is in lockdown is impossible. It's even harder. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. so it's, it's almost impossible to begin with. Then um, the limitations of, of accuracy because especially in closed places like in, inside a mall or schools or large stores, supermarkets. Um, you know, most of these things rely on GPS, which doesn't work very accurately in, in a closed place. Mm-hmm. Um, another obstacle is walls. Those applications don't know to differentiate walls. So if my neighboring flat, which is just a wall away, there is someone there sick, that application will most likely identify me as someone with a high risk of getting infected also. But in reality, it's not that because not if, that, if, yeah. if I'm not going into his apartment or her yeah. apartment, I won't be infected. But there's just a wall between us, but the application isn't aware of that. So there are many limitations. And again, to to get an application like this to be with very high accuracy and low false uh, positives, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of time and a lot of data. So to do that, while everyone is in lockdown, under stress, and in a short period of time, I think the chances of success are very limited. If we are looking at you know, the longer term, thinking of what will be with the next pandemic in two or three years ahead, I would strongly suggest to start working on these applications and not to be reminded again once the next uh, pandemic hits us. But for now, I think it's it's not a big deal. So that's really interesting. So perhaps that's why places like Taiwan and Singapore, South Korea, Hong Kong, for example, have had good results for the track and trace because they've not just started using them, have they? They've been using them yeah. years ago for other have, outbreaks. Yes, they have experience. They have had the chance to uh, make these things work much better. That's really interesting. There is, of course, another issue around all that, which is privacy against GDPR. Uh, And again, some parts of the world are less sensitive to privacy issues, but in some other places, uh, that's a big deal. 
uh, and suddenly having someone know where I was, whom with, um, and in what time, that is a big issue. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses in Europe because many countries are looking at that now. So we're going to be following that very closely on the rest of our podcasts. So um, that brings us to the end of this episode of GDPR now. Uh, Zohar, thank you very much. That was really interesting. I really enjoyed your comments. Um, And if our listeners want to contact you, um, as I said, we'll add your contact details to the show notes. Um, And if there's any other questions that readers would like addressed or anyone would like to send them to me at info at dposforbusiness.co.uk. And Zohar, do you have any last comments you'd like to leave us with? So just to you know, round up uh, the last thing we talked about, which is the, those uh, tracking applications with the first thing that we discussed, which is cyber criminals, I, I think it will be also important to remember that those applications on our, um, each of our mobile devices will also be a very good ground for cyber criminals. So I would um, recommend putting a strong emphasis on that. Uh, and just to say thank you very much. It was great. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, and I did too. So thank you very much for the, taking the time. And that's it from me, Karen Heaton. I hope you will join us again soon. Take care. Stay safe.